This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. So it might be that City can't win games when they're losing at half-time away from home in the Premier League, but in the Champions League, absolutely no sweat. Pep Guardiola's side were well on the back foot in Paris on Wednesday night when the teams headed for the dressing rooms, but when they came back out again, they were like 11 men possessed. But this is very new territory for City now. They have the lead at the halfway point of a Champions League semi-final, and on this week's Blue Moon podcast, we're going to look at what they need to do next Tuesday to make sure they're heading to Istanbul next month. It's Crystal Palace on Saturday, where if results go City's way, this weekend they could win the title so what should Guardiola do for that game and let's not forget as well City picked up their fourth league cup in a row and their eighth in total last weekend so we're also asking why there's such an affinity for that competition with the fans I'm David Mooney I'm joined this week by City fans Sam Roscoe hi mate and from statcity.co.uk Adam Carter hello hello so uh yeah we'll start with you Sam um come back against uh, Paris Saint-Germain it shows an awful lot of character, doesn't it? I sound like Brendan Rodgers, I know, but it does. It shows an incredible <laughs> amount of character, doesn't it? Yeah, you're spot on. I think one the, the most pleasing thing about the comeback was just how calm, how calm the players were in that first half when they were really under the cosh. You know, PSG were really pushing and, you know, they didn't panic. They, you know, they regrouped and they, they didn't really change an awful lot. Um, tactically, there was just a couple of tweaks that Guardiola did, and it totally changed the game on its head. And they, they, the most pleasing thing about it is they won the game playing City's way. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes down to how calm they were, and they didn't panic. And that's the most pleasing thing about this um, this victory. And I, and I think again against Dortmund as well, we saw it. You know, when they went a goal behind, they didn't panic. They stayed calm. They got the job done and they did that again in Paris. So, yeah, yeah really, really pleasing. Adam, were you, were you fearing the worst at half-time? Because the City were just outclassed in that first half. I didn't I didn't even think City were playing that badly in the first half. Paris Saint-Germain were just, they were running all over the shop. Yeah, I didn't expect Paris to be as good as they were in that first half. That was a shock. Um, as soon as the corner gets whipped in and it goes in, I think, I'm thinking, here we go. We've done it again. It's a, it's a typical uh, Champions League night for City in terms of how we exit the competition. Um, I know that's like <laughs> signing the death warrant already, but um, I just thought, here we go again. We couldn't get near the ball. We, we started well and we had a good opening 10, 15 minutes. And then once they got their goal, uh, their tails were up and they were just going for it. We, we did well to stand tall. As I mentioned it has to go out to Stones and Diaz at that point. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's been much publicised uh, is in previous games, when City concede, we then go gung-ho and then we just concede again. And any time we'd conceded uh, multiple goals, they were, they were so close together. And that didn't happen last night. I think that was the difference that we actually thought, OK, we're only 25% through the whole tie at this point. Just regroup stay resolute, don't do anything stupid, don't go forcing it, don't make any mistakes, and that's what got us through to half-time. And yeah. then we were able to build on that platform in the second half. In years gone by, even months gone by, uh, earlier part of the season, we probably would have chased the game so much. I think Guardiola's learnt a lot and instilled that mentality into the players now, and that showed last night, definitely. Yeah, well, this is this is what he had to say uh, afterwards in the press conference about what uh, about what was said and what was changed at half time because he was he was really he was basically really happy with how City had stayed in the game. When you play knockout your stages in semi finals the first leg, you are talking to yourself, but the players are thinking in the next game and don't lose. So you cannot win the qualification the final in the first leg, but you can lose it. We were relaxed in the half time. We spoke about who we are, and we are just something <laughs> little stupid things, not important because it depends on the personality of the players. And we're more aggressive without the ball, especially. We were again the ball high, 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 like it happened against the Spurs in the Carabao uh, final. And with the ball, when that happens, is a consequence. That's why attack and defense is the same thing. You defend well, you attack better. So there you have it, Sam. Uh, they didn't change too much. They just started playing higher up and, and, and basically coped with the pressure on the ball a bit better, did they? Yeah, well, I, I think, first of all, that's a, that's a great insight that we just heard from Guardiola there, you know, talking about they weren't panicked at, at half-time in the dressing room. You know, they, they were talking... Did he say something like they were talking about weird things? You know, they just, you know, there was no panic, it was calm. And he makes a great point where, you know, a tie can be lost in the first leg 
Um, so game management again, really important. Um, but I think for me the key was in the first half you, you could with Neymar and Di Maria they were so high up the pitch in City's mm. half, and I think that's that was mainly because we weren't seeing Walker and Cancelo go forward like we're used to seeing. You know, City had got this system that's so effective because they play with such fluidity up front. It really relies on the fullbacks getting forward. And we weren't seeing that at all. But in the second half, I, I instantly I saw it. You know, you, you could see Cancelo going forward. You could see Walker flying on, going off, going for the overlaps. Um, and instantly, Walk, you know, Cancelo was getting on the ball more, for high, a lot higher up the pitch in in the PSG half. He was putting balls into the box. Likewise for for Kyle Walker, and that was creating space for the likes of Bernardo Silva, Foden, Mares, you know, to to drop inside and and cause even more problems. So I think that for me was the the real key. And and you know, at the end of the day, how many times did we see Di Maria try and play it out from the back? And and he was quite successful on a, on a few occasions, but. That spoke volumes that Di Maria was winning it just outside of his box and playing it further forward. And likewise with Neymar, you know, he was um, doing a lot more defensive work in that second half because Kyle Walker had gone forward. Yeah, there was a couple. I mean, there was a couple of times where Kyle Walker got to the byline and looked up, and like there was no recognised number nine in there, so there was nobody in the box for him to get it across to. But like Sam said, Adam, uh, Foden and Mares get they were they were so much more on the ball in the second half, and you get those two into dangerous areas the way that they're playing this season, and City will score. Yeah, I think you know Mares has been a revelation this latter part of the season, as has Foden, and I think when you've got players like that in your team, it just gives you that outlet and gives you that. Um, ability to get further up the pitch and and you know control the game as far away from your goal as possible. I think um, I, th- I like I like um, the way Bernardo and Mares linked up as well. I want to mention the, those little triangles that they're able to make on that far side, and that just really you know it saps the energy from the opposition because if you're imagine trying to chase Mares and Bernardo and get the ball off them whilst they're running rings around you and minute by every minute that they do that that's another minute that's passed and you're the home team you need to win that game and I think that we just took the game away from PSG we were commanding uh, before they got sent off um so you know, I'm glad we were leading when they when they got a man sent off because you you never want that to be levelled at you that we only won because of ten men. We were we were in the ascendancy at that point anyway, and they yeah. couldn't live with us. Their heads went because of the way we managed that game. Yeah, and luckily yeah. we didn't get embroiled in those in those mind get that you know they lost their heads and we didn't even go go to their level in terms of that. Yeah, Sam, I'm going to read this from uh, Johnny the Bakewell Blue, who's been in touch on the emails uh, to say, I wanted to write and say I was completely wrong about Riyadh. I wrote to you years back when we signed him saying I didn't think he fitted our system. He's always been a brilliant player. I just didn't think he was right for us. As usual, Pep was right, I was wrong, and Riyadh <laughs> is sensational at the moment. Along with Ruben, the Stockport Iniesta, KDB and Edison, he is one of the undroppables. Um mm. I, I mean, I like Johnny. Sam was wrong about uh, Mares. There's countless City fans out there who I think will be mm-hmm. will be looking at his performance over uh, over the last few months, and especially against PSG, and going, yeah. "No goodness me, what a player we've got!" Yeah, yeah. I have to hold my hands up too and say I am certainly um, due to give uh, Riyad Mares a public apology. So I'm sorry <laughs> for everything I said, Riyad. Um, that. That offer of driving you to uh, the the net, you know the, whichever club you want to go to is is now off retracted. The table. It. <laughs> yeah, retracted. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, I think you know what what's really pleasing is that he is he's now a, he's a match winner in in big games. Um, I, I was very critical of him, and, and one criticism I had was he wasn't consistent enough. He wasn't consistent enough in the big games. His decision making wasn't there in the big games. Um, He'd go and score a hat trick against, you know, a team in the bottom half of the Premier League, and then he'd, you know, which would instantly put him in the starting eleven for the next game. Um, but he's now got that consistency, and like I said, he, he is a match winner for us. Um, you know, he was he had a, a brilliant performance against Spurs, and uh, he had a brilliant performance against PSG. Not just going forward either, but in that first half when, um, you know, when City were under the cosh. Riyad Mahrez did some incredible defensive work, which isn't something you'd associate with him, but it just goes to show how, you know, how, how he's come on leaps and bounds and, and what he brings to the team as well as not just going forward, but, but going backwards. There is always that element to him as well, where I always think 
let's try something a little bit different going forward. He does like to cut in on his left. I still don't know why defenders show him onto his left all the time. But um, but yeah, look, it's working. He's having a great impact. Um, well done. Yeah, the, the interesting thing, when you look at City's goals on Wednesday, Adam, like... De Bruyne, De Bruyne said he afterwards after the game he was just putting it in a dangerous area and you know it was quite a dangerous area because it found the back post and went in. <laughs> Mares got a bit lucky; his shot went through the wall, and he, he admitted afterwards that wasn't quite where he was where he was aiming to put it. But it you know it, it snuck through, and he you know you don't shoot, you don't score, sort of thing. It's funny these sorts of goals are the ones where normally we come we're on the podcast after a Champions League tie saying well City were just unlucky you know there's not really much you can do about that sort of thing because because they've conceded them and it's nice to see that now that City have got the almost like the run of the ball for it to happen yep. for them. <laughs> yeah and I'll go back a step further with the Jude Bellingham goal that we got away with you know the we've heard all these years when we've contested the Champions League oh you you've got to have a bit of luck to win it. And I can think of three in the last two games where now you, you, uh, there's the cliche of you make your own look mm. and we needed to be in those positions to be controlling the game in the final third of their pitch to be able to whip that ball in, to win a free kick in that position, to then be in a position to put it in. Yeah. But people will use that as a slight. Uh, I saw it on Twitter. People say, oh, yeah, you scored from a cross and a, and a free kick that went through the wall. Yes, but we were in there. We were controlling the game in their half. We were dominating the play and we were dictating the play that led to those opportunities. Yes, you're going to need luck to, to win this competition. We're told that every year. And every time, like you say, every time we, we get knocked out, we're berating our luck. A referee's decision's gone again us and offside's gone against us um you know and now we're trying we're, I, th- I believe and i'll probably get this thrown back in my face if, if it falls flat on its face but you know is this the, i tweeted is this the, the type of look that you need to win it and is that is this or seeing it now and i really think it is and uh long may it continue and let us, let's ride this wave of luck whilst we've got it you need to admit that we you know two of our goals were fortunate so Yes, let's let's admit that, but certainly let's ride with it as well and, and control the game. You know the bit that we can impact. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, I, I suppose again, it's credit where it's due, Sam, for putting that pressure on uh, on PSG. I mean, the, the other side of it as well. Like you know, I, I can't remember which one of it was, but one of you to mention the red card uh, uh, earlier on. Um, after the first half and the way that City were not intimidated by how PSG were playing, it was really nice to see that City were actually in the second half were, were sticking the boot in and, and winding PSG up by keeping the ball away from them. Yeah, certainly. They, they, the way City commanded and, and dominated PSG with the passing, and it, it was almost showboating at times. And I think that's what really got under the skin of PSG. And you could see it, and you could tell. And it, it was, they, they were playing with such a swagger. It was like, you know, the first half never existed. Yeah, how was it the it, same game? Yeah, how is this the same game? <laughs> yeah. You know, and and I get the, you know, yeah, you know, De Bruyne's. It's a, it's an absolute howler from um, from the goalkeeper, but you know. That's just a. I think that's a byproduct of of how City were playing and and you know the the performance that they put in that second half. Um, they all count at the end of the day. And it, I mean, I mean, ultimately, Sam, it resulted in that challenge on Gundogan, which is, I mean, it's yeah, a, dis- exactly. a disgraceful challenge, and it's rightfully rightfully got him banned for the next leg. Oh, it just makes you wince, doesn't it, when you see it back and you see it back over and over again? It's just, it's not pretty. And um, thankfully, you know, Gundogan managed to, to play on and, and it doesn't look like there's any sort of um, serious injury or any injury from that thank goodness because yeah it's not pretty is it when you see that and uh, although I you never want to say it but you feel like there was some frustration in there as well from from uh, Idris Agay so yeah yeah Adam looking ahead to the second leg now um the the one worry I've got from from that first from the, from the first game and especially the first half, those PSG corners were absolutely deadly. Um, there's a there's an away goal on the cards there for them for, with one of those, isn't there? Yeah, um, I, I was think I was wondering in the first half, did we even win any of the corners that they that, that they took in? I can't remember us winning many. Um, that I was thinking, if I was a PSG fan now and I'm going into the second leg two one down, I'd still think there was a chance we could do it. So it's certainly you know n- not done by any stretch of the imagination. We've just got to not let them have any corners, and and you just hope we'd impose our 
ourselves on the game so much that we just strangle the life out of the game now. We've got the players who are capable, uh, Mares, um, Bernardo, and even the players at the back that can knock it around between themselves. We need to make sure they don't have any chances because they're the only team that can score an away goal now. We did our job in terms of um, two away goals, and I always say the home team has to win. Um, and they didn't do that last night. So, you know, there's two jobs that are in our favour. Um, you know, we're the, but they're, uh, whilst they're the only team that can score an away goal, they're always they're always in it. I would have liked to have seen us go for the juggler a bit more once uh, they did go down to 10 men and we didn't. We just seemed to want to play the game out, which again, we've, we've craved game management forever and now we've got it. I'm actually saying go a bit gung-ho, so they're not going to be able <laughs> yeah. to win with me. I just think another goal would have put it out of out of reach. Next week, I'm, I'm still nervous. We're, we're, we're in a commanding position, but I'm typical City through and through, so uh, yeah. I'm still a bit nervous and we're, we're definitely not home and holes just yet. So, do you need or maybe do you want a bit of help looking neat and tidy? You know, down there. You might do if you've not tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. After using these life-changing products, you're going to want to join a Ballsack Beauty Contest. We're looking out for you too because we have an exclusive 20% off discount. Use the code BLUEMOON at manscaped.com. That's all one word. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. It comes with the Essential Lawn Mower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. This is the best trimmer on the market to help you trim up the hedges. The trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, making sure your balls are smelling majestic before your Tinder date. Be sure to add their refined cologne to your arsenal. With a perfect package or performance package purchase, you'll get two free gifts the shed travel bag and the patented high performance reduced chafing manscaped boxes get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code blue moon at manscaped.com that's all one word do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for your bush trimming experience get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code blue moon that's b-l-u-e-m-o-o-n or one word at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code blue moon it's 2021 and you still got bush get that changed with manscaped how do they approach the second leg sam because they've obviously they've they've never had a had the lead at the halfway point of a of a semi-final like this before they've obviously got the the cushion of two away goals and the lead so like how how do they how do they go about it is it just simply same again from guardiola yeah i think so um i know i touched on you know the, the first half i think the fullbacks were were purpose you know purposely reined in a little bit by Guardiola and I think that was a case of just caution um, and I think that was you could say maybe we gave a little bit too much respect to PSG in that sense as well um, but I think he'll approach the game very similar um, and at the end of the day it's on PSG isn't it to to get the result that they need and that's that's the beauty of the position that City are in it's on them to to go on and, and turn the tie around and win and I think you know the, this this calmness that City have and this this ability to not panic, whereas in the past where we've seen like the Monaco game in the last sixteen, like the Spurs match, um, you know where we where we've lost our heads a little bit and panicked and sort of gone gunko. I think we're in a position now where we can command possession, command the ball, and you know look PSG are going to get opportunities because they're an unbelievable side. Um, but yeah, they're in a commanding position, and it is on PSG at the ultimate, ultimately end of the day. Um, just another little thing on this: I read a stat, and it's like the history of European in the European Cup or the you know the Champions League. There've been forty-seven instances before, um, before the uh, the first leg of an English against PSG of an English side winning the first leg of a two-legged knockout tie away from home, and on all forty-seven occasions, the English side has progressed. Come on, City. There's there's history here to be made. <laughs> yeah, um, I, Adam. The, the the positive, I guess, is let me let me try and calm you down a little bit. And that's not something I thought I'd ever have to say at this stage because it's normally me the one that's doing the panicking. Um, but uh, PSG have to come to the Etihad and they have to score twice. Um, the, the last team that did that, do you know off the top of your head? Leeds. Yeah, it was Leeds United a few weeks ago, so like, it doesn't really mean anything <laughs> not at all. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is comforting, isn't it, knowing that PSG kind of have to go for it a little bit because if they don't, they're going to get knocked out with a whimper. And if they do, there might be space there for City to exploit. Yeah, yeah I think we'll invite them on a bit and, and hit them, which is, you know, which is dangerous. But I think, like you say, there's going to be space there and we know there's going to be space. So uh, I'm, I'm still I, worried. I tend to disagree, to be honest with you, because it, we're not... Uh, City and... and counter-attacking football just isn't a thing, I don't think. Anymore, yeah. It used to be our calling card, didn't it? No, I just think... No, well, what I say, what, when I say that, I think they're going to have to come on to us whether we yeah, like yeah, it yeah. or not because mm-hmm. they need to change the game. And I think that's where the space is going to be. I don't think it'll be a game plan as such then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. But, yeah, I just think... Ugh. I'm, wor- I'm worried about those corners. I'm having sleepless nights about the corners already. <laughs> well, uh, let me let, let me let me give you a little bit of insight as well into what was into how the squad were feeling last night because there was a there was a quote from Guardiola that leapt out in his uh, in his press conference. It's only short, uh, but this is what he was saying about uh, the mood in the dressing room after the game. Now is rest. I was happy that in the locker room after the game the players were so calm, no cheering, just calm. And uh, some hugs and see his mobile phones because we know everything can happen in the second leg. So Adam, when you hear that, like already, there's nobody at City who think that who thinks that the hard work is done already, is there? So like we can all relax knowing that they know the 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 size of the job that they've got left. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get caught out by the magnitude of the task. Uh, a lot of the players' tweets. Uh, alluded to that as well last night, De Bruyne and Ruben Diaz in particular. Um, and Pep will definitely not let us... He's desperate for this, and this is the cl- he's in touching distance of a final now. There's no way he... You know, I'm contradicting to myself, I'm saying Pep, but there's no way he will let them make them any mistakes, let them, you know, uh, you know, surrender chances. Um, and yet, I can't shake my typical city, and I know there'll be listeners going mad because um, you know we, we have proven that we are that elite level now. We rode a, a horrendous storm in the first forty-five minutes last night, and then came out the other side absolutely, you know, in, in cruise control. And it really was a cliched game of two halves. Um, and I, yeah, I think Guardiola, you you know, listening to him speak there, seeing some tweets from the players or their uh, agencies that tweet on their behalf. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we've got to just stay, stay in control, no silly mistakes. All that said, Sam, uh, when Pochettino last got to the Champions League final, uh, he lost at home in the first leg of the semis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, you know, just to... just to, I, I'm, I'm glad Pep... Well, it's it's good to know good to know that there weren't, you know, any wild celebration scenes in the... Um, in the dressing room afterwards, because at the end of the day, you don't get, you know, you don't get a trophy, do you, for winning the first leg of a two-legged semi-final? Um, so absolutely, uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. What they did get a trophy for though was uh, on Sunday, City won the League Cup for the fourth time in a row. Uh, you you get smooth smooth links yeah. like that all the time. Listen, you know, I'll I'll tee them up to you, David, and yeah. you just knock them out the ballpark. I'll mate. knock them out the park. Yeah, uh, it's the four Masters. out of five League Cups for Pep Guardiola at the club, and six out of the last eight for City as a club. Uh, Sam here has been taking a look at why there's such an affinity with the competition at the Etihad. You were made for me. Everybody tells me so. The League Cup is a competition that City fans seem to love more than anyone else. I think the main reason City fans love the League Cup is that we keep winning it, and it's probably just as simple as that. That's City fan Dan Burke, and let's be honest, he's got a point. I think we love it a bit ironically in a way too. It's a it's a competition that there's a lot of snobbery about, and you know other fans say they don't want to win it and they don't care who wins it, and then you also get people claiming they don't care when City wins something. So I feel like City and the League Cup were were made for each other in that sense. Now regular Blue Moon podcast listeners will know that City fan Richard Burns doesn't take City's success for granted, but it's got to the stage that even he's confident about the League Cup each season. I start seasons now assuming that the League Cup is in the bag and just wait to be proven wrong. It's just got that thing now where it's like it is City's Cup. However, he also sees how the competition kind of suits City these days. The one trophy that we've not been successful in is the most prestigious trophy and we're judged by not winning the Champions League. But on the other hand, the trophy that we win far more than any other is the one that is the least prestigious. It's clearly success. It keeps adding to our trophy record, which is great, but it is the trophy that that other clubs take least seriously. And, And in truth, City, although they always put a strong team out, it's the trophy that City as a club take least seriously. And yet, no matter what we do, 
we just keep winning it. There is definitely something different about City's relationship with England's lesser cup competition compared to how others view it. For a start, they seem to be one of the few teams that actually tries to win it. That's something that pleases City fan Howard Hocking. He does take every, every game he plays seriously in any competition. I love that in a manager that they do try and, you know, they take every competition seriously because I think, obviously, what were 13 years almost into since the takeover, any trophy won, even if it's, you know, if it's uh, got a bad reputation, if it's considered the fourth tier, I understand it's not the Champions League, it's not the league, but it still means something. Dan Burke is also glad that Guardiola doesn't take it lightly. I think we keep winning it because we have a strong squad and you know we've also had some favourable draws at times, let's be honest about that, but also because we take it seriously. I mean, Guardiola often bloods young players in the early rounds and, and gives the squad players a run out too, but... I feel like he really drums it into the players that every game matters and they should be given 100% to win every time they step onto the pitch. And I get the sense that it isn't treated like that at other clubs, that they just see it as a bit of a practice match sometimes. Another factor in why City do so well is that even clubs that are desperate for silverware don't give it a good go. If I was managing a club like Everton or Newcastle, the League Cup would be high on my list of priorities because it's probably your best chance of winning a trophy each season, You know, given the FA Cup is, is generally taken a bit more seriously. But even that is strange to me because you would think it would make make more sense to channel your efforts into the competition that comes earlier in the season uh, rather than the one that comes later in the season when your energy levels are lower and you might have to worry a bit more about your league position or, or European knockout games. Howard's also surprised at how many clubs rotate their team for the League Cup. I was just looking back at the season recently and it's like Burnley put out a very weak side away to Bournemouth in the Cup and it's like, as a fan, I would hate my manager to be like that, to... It's a modern phenomenon where survival in the league you're in is more important than any domestic cups, and that's pretty sad to me. There was a time when City were going through their long barren spell that many fans would have loved a trip to Wembley for a League Cup final. For Howard, even now and how frequently City are at the National Stadium, League Cup final day is one of his favourites. They provide so many memories and experiences for fans, you know, for those that go on a cup run, that if you're deprived of that, if your life is just a constant battle for survival, then you're taking, sucking all the joy out of being a football fan in a way. So I know City themselves will have done it in the past because, of course, the financial side of staying up in the Premier League is greater than going a few rounds in the Cup. But I don't think having a Cup run really puts you at a disadvantage in the league. If anything, winning the League Cup can often be the launch pad for a more successful finish to the rest of the season. Obviously, it's the earliest chance to get a a cup uh, to win some, uh, you know, some silverware and many players and managers of teams that have won it in the past have said it's given a boost to them for the rest of the season it's had that intoxicating effect because even our players celebrate in a near empty stadium on Sunday you've won a trophy you know, as a player that it, it, it always means something and now with the victory over Tottenham on Sunday City have moved level with Liverpool as the most frequent winners of the League Cup Richard Burns says it's not something to turn your nose up at. I don't think from the outside it's going to be something that City are judged by or that, um, you know, it's not going to be the difference for signing big players, is it? They're not going to look down City's history record and go, ah, they've won the League Cup more than anybody else, I must go there. But it's a marker of how far City have come and the, the, the prestige that they are building. It's just, it's trophy after trophy after trophy. The League Cup was the first trophy that City ever successfully defended. They've now won four in a row and a fifth next season would not only make them winners of the League Cup more than anyone else, but five consecutive wins would be an English record. If you can say, regardless of its prestige, this is one of the historic trophies in English football, City have won it more than any other club. It's kudos, isn't it? And that's, um, that's a pretty strong thing to have. So I, I hope we do it. Five trophies of any kind in a row is, would be an insane thing to do. And you have to assume that at some point, whether it be five in a row or not, City are going to win this trophy again. And with the way Liverpool treat it, it's probably before Liverpool do so, that I think that record's coming to City sooner rather than later. There's added incentive for City next season, according to Dan Burke. 
As it stands, that would be the final year that Carabao sponsors the tournament. I definitely hope City win it one more time next year so we can say we were, we were the only ever winners of the Carabao Cup. <laughs> I mean, it's a really tacky name for it, but I love calling it the Carabao Cup because it just amuses me and I think City fans traditionally don't take ourselves too seriously so we kind of embrace the tackiness. And I think the Carabao is also a bit of an antidote to the glitz and glamour and prestige that the Champions League tries to ram down your throat every year. You know, We don't need to be champions of Europe to feel good about ourselves. We're perfectly happy winning a, a competition sponsored by an obstacle draw energy drink where they do the uh, cup draws in supermarket car parks at four o'clock in the morning. It could be that attitude that separates City fans from others. If nobody else is going to take the League Cup seriously, then more fool them. Is it any wonder that the silly little three-handled trophy has a special place in all of our hearts? Hi, I'm Trevor Sinclair and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So, Sam, uh, obviously, uh, you've been looking into this. Um, why? Why do you think there is an affinity with City fans and, and the League Cup? Is it? Is it simply that they've won it a lot? Is that it? Yeah, it's got to be. Look, I think. Um, I think as well. It. It's more than. It's more than just winning it. It's. It's a the Wembley experience. I think as well for me. Um, I think it's something that we were deprived of for so long and it's it's just become a joke now, hasn't it? Like I know it's it's become cliche that it's like Etihad South and it's like, oh, home away from home. It it's so cliche we say it all the time, but this competition has brought fans so much joy to to have those experiences when when, you know, we, we got there for a for a playoff final. Um <laughs> and, and that was that yeah, that was a long time ago. Um so yeah, obviously there's that, and and the fact we keep winning it, and the fact that look, you know, not I, I think because City take it seriously, you know, with the with the teams they put out, and you know, it's um, it's a shame really that other teams don't take it as serious because look at the joy that it brings to City fans, and you look at the, you know, the success it it brings to the club, and you look at the. Um, the sort of boost as well, I think. Obviously, now this season's a little bit different because obviously it's come a lot later in the season. But this is the first trophy to be won, and to have that on the board going into the, you know, the the second, well, the the final third of the season is um is a huge boost. It is, uh, Adam. I mean, the other side of it is now City have equaled the records for the most League Cups won and the most League Cups won in a row. Both of them uh, Liverpool records. Uh, if they win it next season then obviously they break both of those records. They're probably also going to be the only ever winners of the so-called Carabao Cup because it'll probably change sponsor after that. The, the contract ends next season. Um, what would all of that mean? <laughs> we get to keep it, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think because we're not trophy snobs, um, it'd mean a hell of a lot. Other teams just downplay it and um, you, know, you know, let them downplay it. I'm, this, this is coming from someone who... who values the community shield the charity shield so i can't i class that as a trophy so you know give me carabao inject it into my veins every every year <laughs> um I, I just think we're seeing the reward of not being trophy snobs and not you know down downgrading this 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 tournament it's a football league cup you know we where we get those days out at, at wembley i'm able to take my daughter to wembley i i, I had to wait 20 odd years to get to wembley or you know, almost. I know you um, kids have never had it so good. <laughs> exactly. Now you want to turn your nose up at a League Cup? No, thank you. No, I think I think it's just reward. I echo everything Sam said there. It's your first trophy on the board. If you win that, your, your season's not been a failure. You know, obviously by our high standards, you could probably argue it would be nowadays, but I'd, I wanted to play in it every year. I, I like the way we, uh, you know, bed some young blood in in the early rounds and then we keep it a bit seriously uh, t towards the end. And you've got teams like Liverpool who just don't seem to want to do that anymore they've got such rich history in this in the competition I don't know why they wouldn't want to carry that on and I think I feel like the more we do carry it on now the more we can't afford to not take it seriously now because they'll be up <laughs> with the fans now because it's our trophy yeah um, let's look at the game with Spurs quickly Sam uh, that performance I mean if you if you thought the PSG performance in the second half was controlled that one against Spurs was controlled there was absolutely like as soon as uh, Hoiberg I think it was passed it out for uh, what for, for a goal kick on what was uh, Spurs is pretty much only counter-attack um, I kind of thought well there's no way we're losing this today yeah it was, it was one of them wasn't it you're in our final now um, <laughs> <laughs> this is our cup <laughs> um, 
Yeah, look, the only th- the only sort of criticism I have is that we had a lot of chances in that first half and they didn't get they didn't score. Um and I feel like that gave Spurs a bit of an opportunity in the second half. There was a period of like 10-15 minutes where I was watching and I, I thought Spurs are if if Spurs have anything about me they could, you know, potentially get at City, which they were, they would they were almost causing some problems. Um, but again, City had the calmness. They rolled that period out, and obviously Laporte popped up with the the header from the the corner. Um, but yeah, that that was the only. I hate I hate to say it because we've just won the cup final, man. But that that was like the only sort of downside to me was like we didn't score in the first half. Um, but that's me being super picky. I was going to say, I mean, we're talking about the kids thinking how bad they've got it. No. I mean, good, good goodness <laughs> me, Sam. We on, didn't score in the first half. No, not no. good enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Adam, obviously, Sam mentioned the goal from the port. Uh, it was always going to be him um, because I think you tweeted that he has he has an ongoing. It's a, like a personal narrative with Spurs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's, he's you know banished the hoodoo. Um, there was the so-called uh, yellow card issue, which I couldn't believe the amount of people that said he should have gone for two bookable offences. If the <laughs> first one happened he wouldn't have done mm. the second one it's yeah. simple as that and a lot of people failed to grasp that and then Sky chose to run with that narrative um, the Spurs fullback did just the same challenges uh, and should have should have arguably gone in the book so I don't know why they just pinpointed on Laporte I think Laporte had a lot to prove obviously he's, tr- he's trying to get John Stone's place uh, he wins as a cup final keeps a clean sheet and then he's out again for the PSG game so I think Laporte's an interesting story towards the end of this season and, and there's, there's certainly a narrative there but yeah Laporte loves a game against Spurs whether he's uh, going wandering into midfield trying to chase Harry Kane or if, if he's winning us a cup, uh, a cup final so yeah the, or, the Laporte or if he's show. handling the ball before somebody else pops it in or if he pops it in after somebody's yeah. just handled the ball I mean that's yeah. it's just I can't I can't understand why it's uh, why it's such a, a thing yeah yeah um there's there's one thing we have to do uh, before we move on to uh, the game with Crystal Palace. It's a quiz. Oh no! <laughs> on City's League Cup final win. Oh yes, a quiz on City's League Cup final wins because I couldn't think of anything else to say about that Spurs game, so I just thought we'd do this instead. Um, you all know how it works by now. Uh, six numbers behind each is a question. Get it right, get a point. Get it wrong, I can't offer it. So uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, Sam, uh, as the uh, as the veteran quizzer, because we used to do this all the time on the live show, uh, would you like to go first or second? I'll go second, please. Okay, Adam, pick a number one to six. Uh, one. At uh, number one, who was the last player to miss a penalty in a penalty shootout for City in the League Cup final? Oh, oh man. Uh, um, Mares? No. Leroy Sane against Chelsea in uh, 2019. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, swing and a miss. Sam, what are you having? Uh, I go for two. Number two, who was the last City player to score in a League Cup final and be the captain for the game? Yaya Torre? No, it was Vincent Company against Arsenal in uh, in 2018. So uh, another swing and a miss. So nil nil, Adam. Um, three, three. Uh, how many of Liverpool's missed penalties in the shootout in 2016 were saved by Willy Caballero? Two. No, it was all three of them. Lucas Leiva, Philippe Coutinho and Adam Lallana all saved by uh, by Caballero. So still no score. Sam, four, <laughs> five or six, what would you like? I'll uh, go with six, please. Number six. Who scored City's final goal in the 90th minute of their 3-1 win over Sunderland in the League Cup final in 2014? Sami Nasri? No! Oh, goodness on. me, guys. It was Jesus Navas. <laughs> Nasri got the second was. one after, after Sore scored that belter. So... Adam, questions four or five. Can you uh, can you take a late lead? Five. <laughs> Number five. Who scored City's first goal against Newcastle in their League Cup final win in 1976 before Dennis Stewart's overhead kick winner? Pass. Oh, <laughs> uh, ah, it was Peter Barnes. Oh, Come on! A shocker. So, Sam, can you take it with a one-nil win? Question oh, sure. number four is all that's left. Who were the first team City ever beat in the League Cup final? Newcastle? No. (laughs) It was West Brom. They beat them 2-1 in 1970. So, nil-nil at the end of that. Well well done, everybody. Oh, horrendous. (laughs) 
for a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. So no winners on uh, on the quiz there. And that takes us to uh, the Palace game, which is uh, maybe, maybe quite symbolic, Adam, because City might not win this if they put the strength of side out that we all uh, kind of hope they do for the uh, for this one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to. We, we I almost um, think of the Crystal Palace game in Pellegrini's season where uh, Gerard slipped in the Liverpool game and we went to Palace and won. I think that was on the same day. So, you know, Palace away has got some good uh, trophy winning or close to trophy winning uh, thoughts for me. But we've got to be, you know, we, we can't make any bones about it. The PSG second leg is the priority right now. You'd hope we've got enough games to wrap the league up, even if we don't do the job this weekend. I think we will, but I think the, the team's going to be much changed. Um, I saw your tweet last night. You want old players from 1990s uh, rolled out to play <laughs> for us uh, and, and cotton wool for the, the game next week. So it's going to be a much changed side, but I think we should have enough in our squad to do the job, especially knowing what's at stake as well. And are people still wanting to play their way into Pep's plans for that second leg? I don't think he'll change it much at all, but certainly you know people wanting to prove their form and this is their game to do that you look at you know sterling aguero people like that sam the the thing is with this game i mean for me ultimately the decision has to be anybody who's even within a sniff of getting a place in that that second leg team can't be involved um but then again on the other side you know it's football's all about momentum and confidence and I, i totally get what you're saying but I can't see him changing the entire team. I think he'll he'll make tweaks and the key players, you know, players that put in a, a massive shift against PSG will will probably get a rest. Um but I don't anticipate it to be an overhaul. Well, uh, here's a question from uh, Andy Bird on Twitter. Rather simply, what's your team for Saturday? So, uh Adam, I'm going to what what who would you like to see in this team? Not not necessarily your your, your exact 11, but who who needs to play? Yeah, I think Mendy will come in and I think he'll go two up top with Jesus and um, Sergio. He, you know, th- those players need games. Sterling will come back in, like I, mm. like I just said. I'd like to see some youth, maybe, uh, you know, Fernandinho coaching Doyle in, in midfield. And these, you know, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to, you know, try something out here. Sam's right about momentum. And I think if the PSG game wasn't just six days away or five days away, whatever it'll be now. Um, I think you know he would he would keep some of the players who played against PSG, but it's going to be a whole new team, or not a whole new team, but certainly players that are need, needing to play. And I'd want to see Mendy just for that. He always mentions about Mendy being a um, Aguero and Jesus only able to play when Mendy plays, uh, so he likes that kind of wing back option, whipping balls into those two. So I think that's the type of performance we'll see. Aguero needs games. You know, we want we want a, you know a few goals from him as part of this one song. Jesus is going to want to is going to want to play Sterling is going to want to lay some claim to make some mark in the in the second leg you'd, you'd think I think he'll go Edison in that uh, I don't think he'll go for like an almost cup team because it's still the Premier League and there's still points to be played for it's, we're not over the line there even though you know we're, we're yeah, almost it's, it's, it's six points from five games like <laughs> come on <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think um, the interesting one for me is centre-backs um, but at the same time as like that for me is an area where I am most concerned heading into the PSG game. Like we don't want anything going wrong with Ruben Diaz or, or John Stones or or Laporte. You know, if if Laporte is to play a part, um, at the same time that partnership has been pretty rock solid and he's, that's been pretty consistent throughout the season. So. I yeah. Well, Stone Stones obviously suspended. I just hate, so I just hate yeah, of course yeah. I just hate second guessing Guardiola to be honest with you. Um, but I I do I do agree, and I, I think there will be tweaks. I just don't see it as see it as being a massive overhaul. Um, any any room for the likes of Doyle or or, or Delap, not, Sam? Not for me. Not for me. It's not that I don't want to see City bring through youth. Um, but again, you know, this is one of those games where it's let's get the job done, and I think there's plenty of Plenty of strength in depth, you know, Fernandinho. Um, certainly in, in there, Laporte, yes. You know, we've not seen Sterling as much, have we, recently? Um, Jesus, you know, Aguero. This, 
even Zinchenko, I know he came on the other night, but you know maybe we'll see Zinchenko again play for in in midfield. That wouldn't surprise me to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, well, just a final thought on this comes from uh, Matt on Twitter. Um, he says, not sure if it's something that annoys just me, but uh, I thought it was worth a message. It's the 12.30pm Saturday kickoffs involving teams that have played on the Wednesday night in the Champions League. When we play Crystal Palace, it'll be the second time in three weeks that it's happened to City. Do you think it's fair on these clubs? In City's case, we've been away on both occasions too, which I think makes it worse. What annoys me most about the Palace game in particular is that BT Sports have two game slots on the Saturday. 12.30 and 8 o'clock, yet they choose us for the early kickoff, already knowing that we're away to PSG on the Wednesday, because they also have that game and that was decided before this set of fixtures was released for TV. So it's not like they're missing out on showing City if they were to show us at the 8 o'clock slot instead. I understand that clubs sign up to a TV deal and if they want to avoid that, or even if they care about it, then it's something that needs to be addressed when they negotiate TV deals in future. You see, in other European leagues, that their games are moved to accommodate the teams playing in the Champions League, yet over here we don't seem to have or want that flexibility to help our teams. Um, Adam, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think um, PSG had an extra day on us before the previous game. And I just think if there is that flexibility in the two game slots, um, you know, a few extra hours on the Saturday would certainly help. Um, I think it's an age-old argument in this country that we, the FA don't seem to want to support the teams in Europe by moving fixtures to give them a bit more rest and relaxation so it doesn't surprise me that we're coming on the back of a game in Paris we're then going to South London for early knockings on Saturday um, but I think the players are used to it now it's just a part and parcel of the, of the modern game and the congestion is just a nightmare but we'll we'll ride with it. Uh, right, well, we had no winners on the charity bet last week, which means that we're still on £1,135 for the season. Come on, guys, we're just £215 off our best ever season, so we really needed to be accurate now. Uh, the money's going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in South Manchester, and each of us is getting a £10 correct score single on all of City's games. So uh, let's start with uh, the trip to Palace. Sam, what are you having? Uh, I'm going to go for 2-0 City. Uh, that's 5-1 to one and £50 if you're right, Adam. 1-0 City. Uh, is 11-2 to two and £55 if you're right. I've gone for one all because I think it'll be a much rotated side. And uh, 15-2 to two and £75 if I'm right. And that brings us to the big one. PSG at the Etihad on Tuesday night. Uh, Sam, where are you going for this one? Uh, I think mm, very, very similar match. And I've gone for the same scoreline, a 2-1 City win. 2-1 City win is 7-1 to one and £70 if you're right. I've gone for a one-all draw. I think City will get the job done, but I don't think it's going to be easy. 13-2 uh, to two and £65 if I'm right. Adam, what are you having for this? I'm going 2-all. 2-all uh, is 11-1 to one and £110 if you're right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Time now to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about how this season has to be considered a major success for Guardiola, whether or not City win the Champions League from here. half-time in the first leg of the Champions League semi-final against PSG, I started noting some thoughts down, for the subject of this piece, not the match itself. And then, well, I don't know what happened, but I do know City have some amazing half-time oranges. And that changed what I was noting down, namely that whatever happens in the Champions League, City's season must be considered a success. The point stands though, so I'm ploughing on regardless. Yeah, would have been easier for this piece if City had just messed up across 90 minutes, but I think it's fair to say I'm quite a bit happier today than I expected to be at half-time. It's a thought that's been with me all week though. Perhaps it was my way of coping with the inevitable nerves of the Champions League semi-final, convincing myself that this is a free hit, doesn't matter if we win or not, and so on. It never works, but I keep trying. The thing is, this tie should not be the be-all and end-all. It feels it for some, because under Pep this is as far as we have come, and of course we've never won the competition. But getting to semi-finals should be what we aspire to every season, so that any one individual campaign does not become a must-win scenario. If City fail this season, then so be it, but come back as strong in future seasons, and the duck will be broken eventually. What it could lead to, of course, is not just a successful season, though, but one that goes down in history. So no pressure. I saw a debate on Twitter too as to whether this is City's best chance ever to win the tournament. 
Well, Real Madrid or Chelsea will of course pose a stiff test should City get past PSG, but they're not the strongest opposition you could imagine, especially for final. Though again, City could easily lose, of course. But this question ties into why I think this season must already be judged a success. You see, the key to answering the question is whether you think this is City's peak squad-wise right now, and I really don't think it is. That is why the 21-match winning run must be cherished and appreciated forever, even if we were not there to witness it. Because this is a squad, as we all know, that needs strengthening. We have no top-class fit, proper strikers to play at any point. That second half against PSG was amazing, but still in a way showed where we are lacking as a squad, without that pivotal point and killer in front of goal. Yes, Sinchenko is definitely changing my mind with every passing week, but we still don't have a recognised left-back as such that I'd want to play every week. We probably need another midfielder as age catches up with Fernandinho, not that we would know most of the time. This is a squad that should be stronger next season, so in theory we stand an even better chance going forward. Well, that is my hope. This hope is boosted further in my mind by the knowledge that the financial devastation caused by the pandemic would devastate some big teams much more than City and could temper their progress in many years to come. Of course, some of the teams will get stronger as well, not just City. Chelsea, Bayern Munich, the Nagelsmann and more. I'm not expecting the path of Champions League glory to open up like the Red Sea. But I hope the progression to at least the semi-final this season becomes something of a norm and that we do not need to rely on winning it to consider the club to have progressed and truly arrived. So because of that winning run that now sees City 10 points clear at the top of the Premier League with a cup already in the bag, this season has to be judged a success whatever happens from now on. Consider where we all were in November. As fans we are all reactionary, you only have to look at the tweets for the first half of the PSG match after all, but I remember what was being said at the time. There was real doubt not only as to whether Pep would sign a new contract, but whether he should. Did he have the fight to build a new trophy winning machine after all? The squad was nowhere near good enough, this was a transition season, some suddenly decided, and many were suggesting a top four finish was actually under threat. What's more, as City prepared to face Southampton on the afternoon of the 19th of December 2020, Liverpool had just walloped Crystal Palace 7-0 at Southhurst Park. It truly looked like a Liverpool squad decimated with defensive injuries could go on to win the league and perhaps begin a new dynasty. And now look at us all. To win 21 on the bounce when no other team had won more than four at that stage was a triumph of management and of the players. It would have been easy and I think understandable if the team had failed to rouse itself in the middle of a pandemic and in empty stadiums. So for me, how can the season be anything but a success? Regaining the league, after all, should always be the basis of a season you look back at with pride. Winning the league is and always will be the bread and butter for City. I will never get bored of seeing City at the top of the table at season end. It makes the summer that follows so much more pleasant too, knowing your team are top dogs. It's your team that is once more on the perch, ready for others to try and knock them off. It's the best place to be, especially following an underwhelming season. It's a statement season for Pep and the players. They're not going away, they're not past the best, they are not, unlike Liverpool, burnt out. And there's more. The Carabao Cup might not be special in itself, though it has provided many special memories, but put it with a league title and it makes the season that little bit more special. As I've said in the past, it's the fish sauce of football trophies. City fans should always appreciate any trophy won, especially as this is one competition that may not exist in a few years' times, if the big clubs get their way, as they usually, but not always, do. And so, at the minimum, City will have won two trophies and got to the semi-final stage of the other two competitions this season. It's an immense achievement, irrespective of wealth and squad depth, and something we as fans should be proud of. The season really could have fallen off a cliff as the year 2020 drew to a close, but Pep knew. He saw the wider picture, he mastered pandemic football as he has mastered so many things, and the rest, as they say, is history. The second leg of the semi-final will fall on my birthday, another one under a lockdown of sorts, so there will be mixed feelings about it all and the usual bout of excruciating nerves on the day of course, but don't let this season be defined by what happens in the Champions League from now on. I've already learned enough to be proud of Pep and the players over the past 8 months or so. They've got me through tough times as they have for so many of us. They've made the lockdown or four that little bit more bearable. Now, of course, they can do even more, but if they don't, I'll still spend the summer safe in the knowledge that this is a club in good hands, when they're not trying to form breakaway leagues, that is. That Pepper's built something special once more and manages a squad that should only get stronger. All they have to do now is win a couple more games and not put up season ticket prices, and we'll have more than success, 
or something that may never be beaten or matched again. That's not too much to ask for, surely. Hi, good afternoon, this is Dennis Stewart calling and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Hear all of our city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Howard Hawking. Uh, time to end with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for future shows on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well via the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, David Sharpley's been in touch on the emails to say, after recent performances against Leeds and Chelsea, it's too much made of the need to rotate the squad. When you look at Liverpool in 1819, they got 97 points and won the Champions League, and they barely rotated. This season is obviously a little different, and City have done well with injuries, so perhaps Pep is right. It just feels like other teams have been successful without making quite so many changes Sam what do you reckon um well just on on that point about um it feels like other teams have been successful without making quite so many changes I, I don't think they have you know uh, to be honest um yeah Liverpool okay they won won the Champions League they won the Premier League but they've not they've not won four Carabao Cups in a row have they you know <laughs> um, well, look at them this season they are struggling this season Is, yeah exactly that... look, I think as well um the the Leeds result, I'm fine with, I can take. The Chelsea one for me is the issue. And I think we wouldn't be having this debate if Pep would have put out his, his you know, top team to, to play in that in that semi-final. And who knows, you know, Chelsea could have got the result anyway, regardless of the team we put out, because Chelsea are a very good side. Tuchel's gotten playing really well. Um, and, yeah, I, I, that's the only reason for me why this is a massive debate at the minute. And I, th- I, t- I understand it. I totally get it. You know, players are playing lots and lots and lots of games. And at the end of the day, City have got the squad to rotate. You look at some of the players that we have. It's unbelievable. It's eye-watering. Jesus and, and Sergio Aguero are on the bench against PSG. And Sterling, you know. Not in great form, though. That's the, that's the, that's the key, I guess, Adam. Yeah, I'm a big fan of playing your best team every game, but I think Sam's hit the nail on the head there with the burnout that you're seeing, or or you, the burnout that you're seeing from Liverpool. So, you know, it does make sense to rotate. We've not even mentioned players like Ferran Torres who can't get in the side at the minute. So you'd hope that in rotating, we're going to see the best of the fringe players, uh, if you can call them that, that that it's going to benefit us. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of playing your best team, but where this game's at now, in between such crucial games against PSG, I'd have no qualms with him resting on this occasion. And that leads us to uh, the final question for this week. Sam Pace on Twitter asks, will you be taking part in the social media boycott this weekend and how successful do you think it will be in tackling racial discrimination? Adam, what do you reckon? Um, I think it's a good initiative. Um, I've got 40-odd thousand followers on Twitter. I won't be partaking. Uh, I've just spoke to a few of the other City Extra guys and things like that. We think... Uh, you know, we don't consider ourselves big enough to, you know, make make a difference. But I think the fact that the the official clubs are doing it, the uh, PFA have, have tweeted about it and things like that. Um, I just, you know, we could win the league this weekend if results go our way. If we beat Palace and uh, Liverpool beat United, we could win, win the Premier League. And our club can't tweet about that because of trolls online. And, you know, these idiots that forced this issue that we... You know that we we can't even have our players tweeting online because of the abuse they're going to get. You know, racial disgusting abuse. How ironic that they'll probably if the if they are trolls of our club. You know, you lose use our club loosely in terms of those these idiots. But you know, our our club has committed to a media blackout and a, a social media blackout, and I get on board totally, understand it. And then we can't tweet about a historic moment in our season because. We need we're needing to make a stand against these idiots, and they're the ones who are going to miss out, you know, on, on on seeing such such tweets and such engagement online because they've forced the the sports world into this, you know, into this abyss because they need to take a stand. I, I totally get it, and I support it 100. percent I think it's a great idea, and hopefully these trolls will realise what they what they've lost when they do abuse that platform and hide behind the keyboards and their anonymity. So, you know, you know, I hope we do win the league this, this weekend just to, you know, show them what they're missing out on. And that's going to have the biggest impact. If there's a monumental occasion like someone winning the league and the Premier League can't tweet about it, City can't tweet about it, you know. Liverpool would want to, if Liverpool beat United, just Liverpool and United in general, I hate to speak about them on this podcast, but that's a big fixture. The social media engagement that's going to be lacking because of that. 
and it's all because of these idiots who need highlighting. So uh, I fully welcome it, and I hope we do win it, and it'll just expose you know these idiots and, and what they're missing out on. Yeah, I think that the the part from me though, Adam, is is you look at look at the Super League for instance, and you look at, at how quick the governing bodies and and, and just everybody around the, the the sport were to act about this, and you think well. That's ultimately it's it's come down to money, and because somebody's going to be making a lot of money that either you're not you're not going to be making money from, or that the governing body are going to lose out on, they've been very very quick to act, and yet we see with you know all sorts of discrimination in football, there is there is such a kind of that there is such a light touch towards it. Um, is is this just another one of those things though? Is that is that is the danger that it just becomes another another thing that oh well we all boycotted uh, social media for a weekend so therefore there's no racism and it's like it's just not yeah. going to work. Exactly, no one can make money out of uh, racism or homophobia, so therefore it's not going to get stopped straight away. Um, I think something. I hope something big does happen in football this weekend to highlight it because if not, it just just become another one of those things, and then it'll probably just be that this weekend every year we have a social media blackout. You know the. The corporations need to club together and really, you know, knock this on the head. Like you say, they can they can stop a super league in the tracks uh, when it's going to cost someone else some money, um, but but they can't knock this disgusting abuse on the head. Yeah, uh, right. Well, that's it for this week's Blooming Podcast. But fear not, if you'd like to hear the three of us gobbing off some more, then there's always the Patreon bonus show for supporters of the podcast. This week's is looking at City's development in the Champions League over the last decade, and it's available for everyone who backs the show on any of the tiers. They're two, five, or ten dollars a month. And they're also shown in your local currency, so you don't have to do any more of that conversion nonsense. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and you'll also get ad-free versions of the show as well if you sign up to any of the tiers. Please go and give the podcast a rating and a review in all the usual places. Thanks to my guests this week, Sam Roscoe. Nice one, mate. Catch you next time. And from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Thank you very much. I'll be back next week to review whatever happens in the Champions League semi-final second leg. I'm biting my nails already, so I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.